Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities podcast, uh, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action and investment and outcomes. Uh, my name is Adam Beck, the host of The Chronicles. My day job is Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and bringing, uh, bringing to you today episode 14 of The Chronicles, uh, one of our first, if not the, actually the first, episode that we're doing uh, featuring strategic reports uh, and documents that we believe uh, are essential reading for anyone uh, looking to advance a smart city's agenda or action or investment and uh, and joining me on the chronicles to discuss uh, quite an interesting report today is uh, Calvin Chu from the Eden uh, Eden Institute in Singapore Calvin how are you hi Adam I'm, I'm really good today thanks for having me yeah, no, it's a pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining in. Um, looking forward to sort of digging into this report. Uh, I've had uh, I've had a good read. Uh, I'm excited about what uh, what's in it, uh, and looking forward to to really asking some uh, some some questions about it. But firstly, for our listeners, can you give us a sense of who you are and, and what you do? What's your day job? <laughs> Thanks, Adam. So uh, once again, my name is Calvin Chu. I'm the managing partner of Eden Strategy Institute. We are a social innovation firm based in Singapore. Uh, and uh, as a strategy consultancy, what we do is to help organizations uh, really create shareholder value from solving social challenges. Uh, some of the work we've done uh, would include from the technology side, helping uh, multinationals to find use cases for their smart city technologies. And then on the government side and with multilateral organizations, we help smart cities, uh, we help cities really figure out how they can become smarter uh, in designing roadmaps and master plans for um, advancing the cities. And uh, how long has Eden been around, Calvin? Uh, we started in 2010. Uh, so it's been coming to eight, nine years now. And um, you mentioned in your intro there the word the word or words social enterprise certainly a very popular concept and topic. Tell us a little bit more about that and the context of work you do around social enterprise. I'm getting the sense that the organisation uh, has quite a quite a sort of a deep mission around sort of uh, advancing for good. Absolutely. That, that really is our founding purpose. And uh, I, I guess uh, my personal background had been in just normal corporate strategy consulting. Uh, and in doing so, I came to realize that uh, the social services sector, the social sector, including uh, you know, companies doing CSR work, corporate social responsibility work, nonprofit organizations, governments, civic organizations, uh, and multilaterals, um, often seem to lack... Um, the, the, the most recent technologies and business frameworks uh, that the commercial world had to offer. And it was with that that Eden Strategy Institute was formed to be able to deliver some of that, that rigor, that, uh, that technology, those, those uh, new approaches uh, into the social services sector. Um, we, we started looking at social innovation as a systems, uh, with a systems approach uh, because it really lies at the crossroads of what Companies which are finding, uh, trying to find purpose and relevance are trying to do. Uh, governments too are uh, often um, really at a lack of budgets uh, and also uh, sometimes talent as well. Uh, and at the same time, multilateral organizations are also looking to, to support different uh, countries uh, using innovative approaches. Uh, what we found was that 
the intersection of these three worlds um, uh, was best facilitated with uh, using a systems approach to bring about so these innovations that we call social innovations. We're talking about healthcare, we're talking about the emerging middle class, we're talking about education, uh, public service transformation, and social enterprises themselves as organizations that have a dual mission to be able to create social good while at the same time uh, really sustain themselves financially uh, are oftentimes at the heart of, of uh, social innovation. So, so how, did, um, uh, how did you then sort of land into this sort of smart cities world and, and share with our listeners um, the, the sort of the, the genesis of uh, what this report that we're going to be talking about, which is, uh, which is titled uh, the top 50 smart city governments. Where, where did this come from? Absolutely. So we, we, first, we, we are based in Singapore, but as you can imagine, our work takes us um, all over the place. Uh, we find ourselves often uh, you know, in a barangay in the Philippines, uh, a, a warang in Indonesia, the back streets of uh, many of our emerging markets uh, all over Southeast Asia and, and Asia. Uh, and uh, sometimes we are, we are in market um, looking for, essentially, we often take a, a, a as, a, as social innovators, we, we focus on taking a citizen-first, people-first approach. So we co-create often uh, with people on the ground. Uh, and when we are on the ground looking at how we can align the, their needs with the, the, the best uh, business models and the technologies that, that uh, the, the commercial world has to offer, we find often that these uh, inequities exist where uh, citizens, for example, in the emerging middle class have budgets and have, a, have discretionary budgets. They have an aspiration to grow. Uh, but sometimes the infrastructure around the city doesn't allow them to access education or to access jobs. So uh, looking at how we can improve the urban environment was always a fundamental basis of, of trying to help uh, you know, improve lives. And even when we do some of our more rural work uh, in agricultural regions, we also see increasingly that uh, the farmers need better access to information, to technologies, to markets. Uh, and, and that's again where that technology comes in. So on the other side, uh, when we were we found ourselves uh, also um, supporting and advising uh, many technology firms, uh, the likes of Samsung, GE, Nokia, and, and Sumitomo, and so on, uh, to be able to introduce their technologies to, uh, to to the world. And in our part of the world, the fastest growing um, segments are oftentimes um, in emerging markets, uh, and and these companies have difficulties actually bringing those technologies without uh, without an enabling ecosystem. So while we were, you know, helping companies to introduce um, anything from, from uh, IoT-based fall prevention systems to uh, high-speed broadband systems, uh, we found that, that countries um, were sometimes looking at onboarding these technologies with a very technology-heavy view rather than with a view around how they can fundamentally improve the, the quality of life for their citizens. Um, studying the literature, we came to see that, of course, um, the smart city uh, conversation had uh, frequently been dominated by technology majors. Uh, ultimately, uh, they have services and products to, to, to offer to the market. Uh, but sometimes we found that the, these services did not always align with the fundamental needs of the city. Uh, in studying the literature, we, we came to see, uh, because we ourselves were also learning good practices around the world, and we, we came to see that um, most of the literature were around the, the rankings of cities themselves. Now, you can imagine that uh, just because uh, uh, Helsinki is, it, it has, a, has a great um, co-creation uh, sort of approach towards, dem uh, a very democratic approach towards uh, making decisions in the city, that may or may not be applicable in another, con another say, political context 
uh, in, in Indonesia, for example. Uh, and, you know, just because uh, a particular system in, say, Singapore works well uh, in, to, 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 for example, take care of our uh, humidity concerns, uh, may not mean that that's also relevant in, in another market, which mm -hmm. is uh, which enjoys a temperate uh, a climate, for example. So, so the challenge was that the the most of the rankings of cities that we had seen just uh, ranked the cities without really finding a actionable way for the typical decision maker, which would be the governments themselves, to know what is the framework by which they should approach their smart city de development. So, <laughs> so what you did in response to that was create another ranking system tell us tell us tell us about how what what the mindset was what you felt the opportunity was but also was there any um you know was there any reluctance or hesitation there to sort of jump in and and, and create your own sort of you know top 50 smart cities kind of report and index absolutely uh, we, 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 start, we looked at at, at five or six different rankings and, and honestly we didn't feel like uh, there was really a, a, a real need to do another rankings yet another mm -hmm. one but uh, it, we also spoke with some of our clients who were cities themselves and, uh, and many of these government officials and urban planners uh, again uh, because of what I mentioned earlier uh, didn't find that uh, just benchmarking against and, or trying to copy and paste what was going on in another city was really relevant for, for them so we, 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 we bit the bullet and we decided to jump into this, um, this, this endeavor to rank, I think for the, the first time ever, as we are aware, the governments, the smart city governments, rather than the cities themselves. So yeah. certainly the cities yeah. themselves would play into the context, but, but what we are really interested in would be things that governments would care about, that they can extrapolate into their own, uh, um, their own decision making. And, and there are about 10 vectors or so that, uh, that, that we, we have uh, we use as the basis to rank the cities. Yeah, I, I think that's a, really, um, that's a really important sort of point that our, that our listeners should sort of, you know, h highlight on this. Uh, the, 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 top city, the top smart city ranking that you've done uh, is really looking at the, the government, the organisation, its, its sort of characteristics and approaches and its supporting... Um, you know, in infrastructure around its ability to be sort of smart city. So uh, you mentioned, uh, I mean, methodology is key, right, in, in the type of exercises. And, and often the first thing that, that sort of smart cities nerds like me go to, it's like, oh, well, how did they come up with that? You know, what was the methodology? Um, can you share, share with us a little bit around these sort of 10 criteria? Talk, talk us through them um, and... Um, uh, and, and sort of how you came up with those. Uh, what, what I will say for our listeners that, are, that may be multitasking uh, on a desktop, um, you, you've got a website set up where there's information and this report, uh, it's downloadable, isn't it, Calvin? What's that website? Just, just for our yes, listeners. Uh, we've, we've made uh, the methodology as well as the report freely available on our micro site, and that's at www.smartcityguft.com. That's okay. smartcityguft.com. Fantastic. SmartCityGOVT.com. Excellent. So um, let's, let's dive into these um, sort of 10 criteria that you use and talk us a little bit, uh, about, uh, tell us a little bit more about those. Sure. So we first started uh, uh, with some hypotheses around what the criteria were, but we also were careful not to just impose what we consider to be good criteria because if you go around looking for something, then you know some people will qualify, but we don't know if the criteria is actually itself valid. So an iterative exercise is, is certainly important, but even before 
uh, deep diving into the individual cities, what we thought was a fair way to go about doing things was actually to do our uh, due diligence in broad listing a wider range of cities that we can start analyzing before we zoom in on the top 50. Uh, we went about uh, using two approaches. The first uh, was to look at uh, any of the cities which had been which had appeared in any of those uh, rankings that are out there. So we studied, for example, I think Easy Park has a Smart Cities Index. Uh, IESE uh, does a Cities in Motion Index. Juniper does another Smart Cities Ranking. Uh, a, there, are, there are other organizations that do various um, reports around that. So, so any city that through the rankings have been identified in at least uh, two, two of these. Uh, and we use two just to have some test retest reliability. Uh, we put them into our broad list. So this threw up um, some, um, I think, 80 over cities, I think. Uh, I think 80, 82 cities. Um, but at the same time, we were uh, not only uh, keen to look at those who had made it in the press uh, or made it uh, had been identified, we were also interested in cities which were up and coming. So we basically downloaded um, the, the top 1,000 articles in the last uh, couple of years with any mention of a country uh, and the word smart city. So we scoured this 1,000 articles. Wow. wow. <laughs> it was a fair amount of work. So yes, anybody who was doing yes. anything very interesting, uh, we, we pulled out. And from that, uh, excluding the, the first set of 82 cities, we pulled out another 58 cities. So altogether now, we have about 140 cities in our broad list. Within our 140 cities, we then went to uh, each of the cities um, studying various criteria, studying their reports, studying their statistics. Uh, and also we reached out uh, as a last step to engage with, uh, uh, with most of the top 50 cities to make sure that you know, um, whatever they were talking about in the press uh, were in fact things that they were doing. And that in fact, these things were in fact valid and not just good PR. So, so it was an iterative process going into it. Uh, we were uh, studying um, different approaches that people, that different cities would go about uh, uh, enhancing the growth of their cities and ultimately the 10 criteria that we felt uh, iteratively from studying all the good practices that, that came up at us uh, included uh, firstly that uh, a city has to have a very clear vision, a good strategy to, to, to develop their smart city. Um, sometimes uh, cities went about putting in place smart technologies but if they were piecemeal, uh, it, uh, uh, it, it might not be sustained as a coherent development plan. So a vision is fundamentally important. We then looked into the leadership to steer the smart city projects. Sometimes uh, leadership can be distributed and uh, that's great. So you, you might have three or four different offices um, at the municipal or the city level, at the private sector level, all driving various smart city work streams. And that creates a certain kind of resilience that, that we will consider to be a, a great practice. Uh, in another context, uh, it might be a, a central government, for example, with a very strong, dedicated leadership team or smart city office that is trying to push for smart city projects, and that's great as well. But you also have other situations where, where leadership and accountability, the, the fundamental people driver for smart city initiatives is just not there. And, and we've seen that in such places, um, you know, if it were just a, a, another extracurricular activity of a urban planner in a, in a, in a country or in a city, then the smart city initiative could, could uh, fizzle out. So leadership is important. Uh, budget, that's quite uh, straightforward. But also we were interested in uh, separately financial incentives to be able to encourage private sector participation into various smart city programs. So we, we, we learned that uh, cities that went about with a heavy top-down government push oftentimes did not uh, lead to a, a sustained effort without engaging with the private sector. And that, that's one of our core insights as well. How do you create these very mutually beneficial 3P partnerships 
for sustaining long-term smart city initiatives. Um, but financial support to encourage people would not be complete without in-kind programs uh, to help to empower the private sector actors to participate. So we looked at uh, incubators, networks, uh, events, accelerators, uh, different kinds of support programs to help the ecosystem become richer and more, more mature so that they can, they can push this out. Um, the, the, fifth, uh, the sixth factor really was the policy framework. Uh, does the country have a data policy, for example, a governance policy? How do they regard uh, intellectual property? Uh, do they have policies uh, in terms of uh, urban design, in terms of um, uh, roadways, for example? Is, is that a coherent uh, framework for smart city development? So, so uh, legal framework, right? So, so that, that, that was, uh, the, the, I think, the seventh factor or, or sixth factor. And then after that, uh, we looked also at ecosystems, whether a city had... Uh, ecosystem approach to develop multiple partners in uh, who can who can sustain this innovation. We look at how the design of the smart city, the extent to which it was people centric. Uh, we looked at uh, how the city invests in bringing up its citizens. Uh, so the talent readiness of, of of the city in terms of education and training uh, to enable a city to have talent that has smart skills. And finally, we looked at the government's track record of having successfully uh, introduced or catalyzed uh, smart city initiatives. So, that, so there you have it. It's a sort of 10 uh, key criteria that we use to, to rank them. Okay. So you've got a pretty comprehensive set of criteria there. Um, the, 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 results are, um, the results are interesting, and, and that's not necessarily sort of putting a positive slant or a negative slant. Um, you, you've ranked them. Um, I, I love in this, in, this, uh, in this report, you've got a visual representation of each of the, fifth, the, the top 50 uh, little spider diagrams. Um, you, ca- you sort of ha- have a, a spider diagram for each of the, the, the top 50. Talk, talk us through, is that, um, that that's, that's a visual representation of the, of the sort of the ranking of each city against those 10? Is, is, is that correct, Calvin? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so we didn't attach weights to each of the ten. So that would be a bit of a subjective exercise. That cities on their own, they can they can choose. For example, in our context, we value leadership more, or we value you know we are we are more we are more in need of a financial resource. So we we put a heavier rank on financial, and then they can weight it. So that's a tool they can use. For us, we put uh we we uh regarded all ten of these variables as equal uh in nature, and then we basically. Uh, represented the score of the city ac- uh, according to each of the 10. We made that very transparent. Uh, and what that's turned out to be is the cities uh, that we are in touch with have come back to us to say that, oh, you know, um, uh, this has been very helpful because it shows that, you know, on, on uh, uh, this and uh, vectors A, B, and C, we seem to be doing okay. Uh, but if we really want to improve, then we need to look at uh, vectors D and E, for example. So we, we have seen that uh, uh, right here in Singapore where the Smart Nation office, um, <laughs> Singapore is very... Um, keen uh, to improve on its commitment and its smart city strategy. So they, they zoom in on, on two of the variables. And, and even though they were, they were they, they ranked, I think, second uh, globally, um, but they were very keen to just look at how they can still improve. So this continual improvement uh, aspect uh, allowed them to zoom in on, on, on two of the factors that, that, uh, uh, that they fell behind on compared to the, 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 the top ranking in London. Uh, it also happened to us in Jakarta when we were there two weeks ago, uh, where they also zoom in and say, okay, so the next step for us is to improve on, 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 on these two uh, variables. 
So, so, so far that's been proving to be constructive for the cities. Mm, that sounds like uh, indeed a very sort of practical tool that they're going to be able to sort of take away from this report and, and, and build on. Um, so, so let's just talk about the results here uh, and unpack those for a moment. So the top five goes something like this. So it goes London, Singapore, Seoul, New York, Helsinki. Um, the top 10 round out then with Montreal, uh, in Canada, we got Boston, uh, Melbourne, and Australia. Go Australia, um, and uh, the stalwart Barcelona. Uh, and rounding out the ten is uh, is sort of Shanghai. Um, a good, you know, the remaining the remaining sort of forty in the list. A lot of familiar faces. Uh, you know, Amsterdam, San Francisco, Taipei. Um, what else we got there? You know, Van- Vancouver. Um, Sydney makes, you know, 31, uh, you've got LA, Tokyo, Atlanta, Dubai, a whole range, Wellington in New Zealand. Excellent. Um, Tel Aviv, Jakarta, Paris and others. So when sort of this started emerging, you know, when the results started emerging, first question, any, any surprises in there for you? Mm. Uh, so, so maybe just before I answer that, I, I should again caveat because <laughs> many of the cities we are talking to, um, uh, the city officials may have a tendency to be fairly, uh, uh, how do you say, competitive. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and then they'll go, oh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm behind so-and-so and uh, oh, how come I'm only in uh, number 47 or whatever, right? Uh, and uh, and I, I just wish to caveat to say that, that the, these top 50 are all incredible cities. Yes. To make the top 50 in the world out of 140 cities is a phenomenal accomplishment. So, so I, I don't, uh, I just want to, you know, uh, temper that a little bit uh, to, to say that all of them are really fantastic cities and, 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 uh, and this is intended to be a celebration of the immense amount of work that every one of the 50 have put in. So, yes, yes, indeed. So, so I think having said that, um, if you look into um, what we have across, um, certainly we, 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 when we went about it, uh, we were also deliberate in trying to get a good geographical, repre- uh, at least not so much to get a representation, but to cast our net out geographically to make sure that you know cities uh, in Africa or cities in Europe or certain cities in Southeast Asia, we, we have adequate coverage or cities in Latin America, we have adequate coverage. Um, so so I, I think uh, there, there are cities that even before doing the, the study, for example, uh, Kigali came in uh, at, at number 50. Uh, and uh, uh, I, 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 frankly, I had never uh, been to, to Kigali or to Africa. Uh, and uh, to understand that Rwanda is actually uh, investing heavily uh, and their government is taking uh, good leadership and uh, you know just investing heavily in uh, developing their people and their innovation ecosystem uh, is 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 uh, what's quite interesting to us uh, just as a learning process now um, you know it's a function also of you know our, our, my, my own personal um, exposure and our, all of our personal exposure but I think the, the nice thing about about doing a systematic sweeping is that uh, we can identify even cities that we may not uh, have seen before that we may not know that much about before um, and, and in, in that regard it could be a surprise um, I guess the other part of it is also uh, uh, we chose it's also that we chose to be very transparent in our methodology because uh, even though uh, for example after our after our our, our work was published uh, quite broadly and picked up in the press uh, we had some cities for example in Russia or in a couple of cities in, in uh, uh, Southeast Asia that, that contacted us and said, hey, you know, we are actually doing this interesting work. 
Um, and, and how come we were not featured, for example? So, so when we, when we, of course, we are, we are also very careful because the moment you put out a ranking, uh, probably even, even a ranking of the top 50, 49 people may not be very, very happy. Yeah, Only one person yeah. So that's the nature of this game, right? So, so we, we went back uh, to just check back on, on some of these cities that had contacted us. Uh, and we found that, yeah, in fact, uh, when, we, when, we, when we had requested, uh, we did outreach also very broadly, but they, they may not have responded or they may not have sent us anything. Uh, they did not publish anything. Uh, so, so I think we also have to be cognizant that, uh, we, that maybe certain cities uh, which were also doing fantastic work just didn't make it to the top 50 simply because they, they had not been very vocal about it in the press. Um, and, and look, rightly so, your comments there and, and caveats around, you know, the 50 and scoring and, and ranking and, and cities and mayors are extremely competitive, which, of course, can be a very valuable thing for us in getting things done. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think the real, um, when, when our listeners sort of go and have a look at the report, I think the real value um, or, or some sort of some real value add um, I have, I've sort of found from, from reading it is those observations that you've made, you know, cause you've, you've been able to complete an immense amount of sort of research and, and reading and knowledge gathering across 150 cities. And e- even that, that sort of scanning process you did and the thousand sort of articles, you know, would have been a fascinating exercise on its own. Um, just, just turning to some of these key observations now, Calvin, um, you certainly um, you certainly got a range of different observations, um, data, uh, you know, clusters and innovation districts, um, you know, how you develop a strategy. Um, you start in the report in your observations by talking about funding initiatives. Um, now, I, I imagine there's no particular order of importance in terms of your observations, but I, I like talking about funding and financing um it's a key part of smart cities and you know when we look at surveys around the world where questions are asked of cities you know what 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 sort of is holding you back or what are the key barriers funding and financing consistently makes it sort of to the top three barriers of of um you know challenges that cities face and have an experience in terms of advancing smart cities action Tell us about what you found, that those observations around funding and financing and, and you know, paying for initiatives like this. Absolutely. So, so again, um, the, going into to the, to this uh, study, we hadn't actually intended beforehand to come up with some insights around it. We were just content to, to rank the cities. But because as in the process of studying the cities, we were just really blown away by the sure range of creativity that... And, and, and deep thought that the cities were, were putting into various considerations, like, like 10 of these observations that we have put together so far, uh, we thought it would, we would not do it justice if we did not also capture that creativity and originality and, and innovation that the cities were doing. And, and that was really the, the reason we decided really midway through the study that, you know, we're, we're just learning so much, it would not be doing justice to their work if we did not try to capture some of these insights. Mm-hmm. So that, that gave rise to, to the 10 that you talk about. Uh, when it, when, when it comes to funding, uh, just keep in mind first the, that these insights are really from the top 50 in the world. Uh, and outside of the top 50, you know, we have been recently even uh, going to many emerging markets. Uh, and, and some of the challenges that they face uh, when it comes to funding are even more exacerbated uh, just due to the level of development in country. Uh, so, so these insights are primary, primarily from the, the, the top 
uh, countries. And uh, effectively, what we've learned uh, were four broad insights. Uh, the first uh, was about how uh, funding sources, uh, and this is clearly different across jurisdictions, uh, oftentimes came about uh, government funding, that is, from a nice balance or mix uh, between national funding and state funding. Um, a lot of the times, the state themselves might be the ones that would be driving the city development, but the, the support from the, the national government is oftentimes really instrumental in, in catalyzing this. We've seen this certainly in small, small city-states like Singapore, but also very large countries. For example, uh, the, the example I, I often quote, uh, you, you can see uh, uh, Modi in India did this, when he introduced uh, 100 smart cities, uh, the, the United, United States had done this when they also came out with a, a smart cities challenge globally. Uh, sorry, for the, for the states, for American cities. Uh, and, and just uh, catalyzing this was, was really instrumental to, to be able to, to encourage the cities to, to get started on their smart city journey. So that's government funding. Uh, the, the next uh, insight that we had was really around private sector participation. And uh, we were really thrilled to see that uh, there have been very interesting business models. Uh, for example, uh, you know, some tech majors like Cisco or Google uh, would find uh, that the close collaboration with the cities brought about good commercial benefits to themselves, whether in the form of uh, you know, doing a technology test bit or in the form of uh, just really yielding the, the interesting city-level data that, the, that these companies can go about doing that. Uh, that these very interesting 3P type partnerships uh, uh, were evolving uh, and oftentimes we found that in, in many of these pioneers, pioneer smart cities, uh, a lot of the bill was actually footed for uh, by the private sector partners. So, so that was, that's been very encouraging. Uh, outside of this report, uh, we also came to learn about various um, uh, private sector partners like uh, the private investors, banks, overseas development agencies, even some sovereign wealth funds uh, that would be keen to help uh, develop the smart cities. So, so I think that that really is an abundance of funding that's out there, and and the idea is just how do you uh, help the cities themselves to be investment ready. Just uh, just, just on that, Kelvin, the private sector participation one is is a real key one because uh, a lot of people feel that you know for for this to really work, and and not and this isn't unique to to sort of smart cities investment, but infrastructure investment more broadly, which is you know, significantly, you know, backlogged in, in a number of nations, both emerging and emerged. But um, did you, in terms of private sector participation, can I just sort of ask you for a moment, is there, were there any approaches to that that really excited you or were really innovative? Did anything really stand out in that private sector participation piece? Mm, I, I think uh, the, 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 the main, I would say, um, insight that we took away out of that was that every city and every, every, um, every company, every corporation has something to give and something to get. Mm. And, and uh, the, the narrow way that, that, that people like to think about this is that as a private sector corporation, for example, what I, what I give is my product and service and what I get is the fee for service or product. Uh, and, and I think the insight for us is that <clears throat> cities have a tremendous range of, of things that they could give. For example, uh, I mentioned about data. I mentioned about, uh, you know, it could be just uh, this idea about a test bit where people can pilot things uh, from an R&D or product development perspective. That's also helpful. They have certainly reputational benefits that, that the companies can, can gain from, from uh, setting things up. Um, 
they can give jobs, for example, uh, they can give talent. So, so there's actually a wide range of what uh, cities can give. And, 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 and companies also in, in uh, looking at market development and market access, if, we, if, if both parties would only take a broader view uh, of uh, potential business models and potential exchanges and flows as a system, uh, I think that that, that really uh, would be a, a nice uh, way to advance that, this kind of treaty partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, sorry, I, I didn't want to interrupt there, but I I, I just knew oh. that, that that was a. Um, no, it's, know, it's absolutely fascinating a, a, a and point, isn't it? And, and people are, are still trying uh, every day to, to come up with new approaches and and uh, and hopefully together we'll we'll be able to bring up more of these uh, in, the, in the subsequent years. The the next two aspects of funding were actually funding to do with um, helping set up local ecosystems. Uh, so what we found was that the the power of competitions and hackathons were quite uh, important. Where uh, whether it's funding from a government or a corporation uh, to to put out uh, these civic challenges, for example, for citizens or for startups to be able to come up and solve um, solve some of the challenges that they're facing themselves, experiencing in the city. So so this is important for two things, right? One, as I mentioned before, the a city uh, only really sustains itself well when you have um, uh, private sector participation uh, from the ground up uh, so that you can have lots of different kinds of solutions and so on. So, so first thing is just really about innovation. But, but another thing, and I will argue that that's probably an even more important aspect, is the, the amount of uh, engagement with citizens. Now, you, you have a few different levels of engagement that might be possible. You could simply um, come up with your, as a government, you could simply come up with your smart city strategy and you can just introduce it and, and, uh, and, and in a way uh, regulate the, the citizens to have to comply. Uh, we have seen that in some markets. Um, and uh, you, you, could, you could do a public consult uh, and tell people, you know, we're doing this, what do you think? You could do a, a, a sort of a co-creation activity where you, where you can say that um, now here's a challenge, Let, let's co-create it together. Uh, and, uh, and, and that unleashes the creativity of the citizens. Or you can even set up enabling frameworks and, and approaches which allow the citizens to figure out for themselves what are their frictions when it comes to under, uh, their interactions with the city and, and empower them through workshops, through tools, through funding, through competitions to be able to develop their own solutions to the city. And that I would, uh, I would perhaps argue is the, the very best uh, kind of... Uh, social compact, a new kind of renewed social compact that citizens and, and governments can have with each other. Um, there's, uh, there's, so, there's so many insights here and we're not going to have a chance to touch on all of them, unfortunately. The other one that I would like to touch on, Calvin, um, that, you know, speaks to sort of quite a, an area of passion for the Smart Cities Council is inclusion and and this idea of digital inclusion. Um, Absolutely. Can you sort of just share some, uh, some highlights around um, that topic? Um, and, and then I've got, I've got another sort of more, more sort of personal question for you around digital inclusion outside of the, sort of the research that you did. But tell us a little bit about this, this digital inclusion and, and how the cities went and what the key insights were. Okay. Uh, I think that's also a, a topic very close to heart for us because when cities push ahead with a digital agenda, and if the citizens are not ready, not only will the, uh, the, the initiatives, the smart initiatives fizzle out, uh, and you know, of course, monies are, are going to be just uh, wasted, but uh, altogether, 
if the if a city really pushes hard on the smart city initiatives, it, it really leaves people out uh, out of uh, uh, new jobs, out of new skills, new technology. So so digital inclusion is absolutely critical, and some of the good practices that we have seen uh, involve first really understanding who are the stakeholders that need to be included. Uh, and that would differ across countries. Uh, it could be in some markets, uh, minority groups. It could be children. It could be elders. It could be, be uh, uh, women who, are, who, are, who have left the workforce for, for a number of years. So just having a, a systematic comb of each of the segments to make sure that there is a, there's a sub-strategy that attends to the needs of each of these segments uh, is firstly quite important. Uh, and one of the good practices that we've seen uh, in inclusion is really the access to technology. So the access, the window into technology comes usually from devices. How do you uh, provide access when it comes to tablets or, or, or mobile phones, which are fairly prolific? But we have also seen, for example, I think in, 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 in Kansas City, um, uh, they were looking at some neighborhoods who may not have so much access uh, or tourists who are coming in. So how could these uh, these these uh, city users interact effectively with the city without that kind of access. Uh, in, in their case, they put up kiosks, uh, uh, technology and uh, at their bus stations, at their bus stops to be able to understand how they can engage with the, the, the city services. Um, we've seen in London, for example, uh, with, whose mayor has a very strong inclusive agenda uh, uh, to, to, to offer not only um, really Wi-Fi hotspots all over the city, uh, but also to, to help bring about access uh, in other forms. So the, 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 the outside of the physical layer, another layer is really the level of IT literacy and the skills that need to come along with that. Mm -hmm. So with IT literacy as the most baseline uh, requirement, we're we are really talking about um, uh, teaching in schools, for example, uh, uh, or teaching elders, for example, how do they uh, uh, start understanding how to use technology. But more than that, I think what's important, and, and, and I will quote perhaps Helsinki, as a very nice example here, is how uh, the, the jobs of the future uh, also have to be smart and therefore the, the education systems entirely have to accommodate to enable children, for example, uh, Finnish children from, from even grade school age to be exposed to coding, to be exposed to different kinds of uh, uh, emergent technologies or frontier technologies such that they can move on into, into jobs and become not only users of the city, not even, not, not even only power users of smart technologies, but developers of some of these technologies for export and, 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 and to, to drive the economy uh, in the long term. So, so I see multiple layers of inclusion and, and I think the very first is just to, to, to get started knowing who you're trying to help and who is going to be left out. I've had a number of sort of close friends that I respect in this space, you know, make, make the comment a number of times now that, you know, digital connectivity is now a basic human right and human need. Um, what are your views on that sort of comment? Okay, I, I think uh, the, if I'm not wrong, the UN uh, is currently talking about including this as a basic human right, isn't mm. it? Yeah. When it comes to, to, to the smart city context, um, I, I, would, I would perhaps um, say that fundamental digital, um, well, it goes beyond digital, isn't it? We're, we're talking about really, let's just talk about what a smart citizen should look like. Um, there are there are various uh, uh, so-called C's that people talk about. You know, uh, creativity, connectedness, uh, uh, confidence, and, and and communication skills, and what have you. So there are various C's that the literature, literature talks about. A smart citizen, uh, to me, is one who is ready for the future. 
uh, ready for new technologies that come about, ready for the world. Uh, and and uh, I, I guess the question is, uh, for me, the, the, the bigger concern is whether the schools themselves and the education systems are enabling our citizens to be future ready. That, that for me, is the most primary uh, need. And, and if being future ready means that the, the, the students have to be exposed to to you know some of the digital demands of what the future holds, then certainly uh, that uh, certainly we have to provide uh, connectivity and access so that they can be they can be trained. Uh, we have, however, if, if you bring this all the way to really based off pyramid type markets, uh, if you you find yourself in a, a village uh, in in Africa or in India, uh, and uh, there are a lot of uh, organizations which are trying to bring about various kinds of uh, internet access to them. Um, but for, for me personally, the, the first challenge is to even make sure that, that their education systems, their ability, for example, to, 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 to search for information, the, the, the learning how to learn uh, is, 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 uh, is the foundation that has to be in place. Uh, so, so I would say certainly I think digital, uh, digital connectivity is critical. If you, if you don't have a connected city, uh, it can't really be smart because it's hard to sense anything. It's hard to be mm-hmm. responsive. It's hard to, 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 to activate anything. Uh, but when it comes to people, I, I think there's tremendous amount of work that first and foremost even needs to be done uh, in enabling a, a smart talent pool. Mm, absolutely. Um, we're almost at, at time, Calvin. Um, I, I just want to circle back big, bigger picture. Um, you know, coming from, you know, coming from a world you know, of, of social enterprise and, and sort of human development that you've been immersed in, you know, for, for quite some time. Um, doing this research and work in the smart city space, did you come away, did you come away from doing the work, um, you know, with a level of optimism and, and hope and excitement or other feelings that sort of, you know, may, may not have been sort of, so so optimistic how did you feel when you sort of step back and look at the work now yeah yeah <laughs> that's an interesting question um, by by uh by personality i guess I, as an entrepreneur myself we all have to be uh, extra optimistic so i, I guess yeah. i'm a bit of an optimist uh, but but i think um the first feeling when i when i as i expressed earlier when we went about studying the many cities was just the sure was just this um, really amazement at the sheer amount of creativity and, and innovation that cities all over the place are, are trying to, to, to introduce. And, and that, that is really a promising thing. And, and you know, there is, there is a saying that, that uh, the innovation is, is uh, already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Uh, people are doing fascinating things all over the world. It's just this lack of insight into what, what, what else people are doing and how else who has already solved the problem like this. So, so I, I think um, that, that's also one of the, the, dri- the re- real drivers or reasons for us to want to do this study so that we can spread the good practices. So, so I think it, there's a great amount of optimism. Now, on the ground, where we are, where we are walking down the streets, uh, a, a lot of time, I think uh, the work that smart city officers do uh, may not permeate completely into the day-to-day lives of its citizens yet. So we are, I, I, I think, at this stage of development where, where a lot of encouraging work has been done, but, but outside of the you know, smart, silly community, geeks like you and me, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the average citizen may, may not even know what this is about and how does this change their lives and how can they ready themselves for the future. So I think there's also tremendous opportunity uh, for better communication, for better 
um, scalability for better inclusion. So, so that, that, that is another aspect. And then the last aspect, perhaps I can mention is that when we go into um, talking about smart cities, uh, again, here we are, we're studying the top 50 in the world. But when we go into a rural, rural village in Africa uh, or even a, a farmland uh, in Thailand, uh, what we are finding is that the, the fundamental ability to access uh, just basic government services, just to get registered, to say that you are a legit citizen, just to be able to get an identity card. Uh, these are things that many, uh, many countries uh, still have not solved yet. Uh, and, uh, and I think, I think um, smart city, when it comes to some of these markets, really is, isn't about fancy sensors uh, and so on. It's really about just having a proper e-governance framework. It's having uh, just basic access to, to infrastructure. It's just having a, a, a comprehensive human development policy uh, uh, as a foundation first. So, so I, I think just looking, having gone through this, this experience, it just strikes me that there are really almost two worlds. One world which is fancy and glittery and, and, and technology heavy and shiny and with many promising good practices and so on. And then there's another world of citizens, whether they are in urban or rural areas, which, uh, who, who really uh, 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 have a lot more that they can benefit from. So I think the, the translation of those technologies into these markets is something that I would really look forward to and, and hopeful for as well. I uh, I am totally uh, w with you on that, and and it's exciting um, to have um, you know individuals and, and leaders like yourself and um, uh, and your organisation, you know, really starting to to you know play an active role in in this sort of smart cities movement, which is which is exciting. Um, so w we need to we need to sort of um, wrap there. Calvin, just just for our listeners again, head to that website smartcitygovt.com um, to uh, to download a copy um, of the report that we've been talking about. Um, the report is uh, titled "Top 50 uh, Smart City uh, Governments." Um, I've had with me today on the call uh, Calvin Chu, who is a partner at Eden Strategy Institute, based out of uh, Singapore. Uh, who are doing some some great work across Asia in, in business system innovation and human development and and uh, research such as uh, the document we talked through today. Um, Calvin, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed, Adam. I, I had lots of fun. Thank you. Not a problem at all. And for our listeners, uh, if you're not subscribing to the podcast, you can do so uh, on those platforms of uh, Apple iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify. You can also head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, and of course, feedback is always welcomed. Um, you can email us uh, at chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. Thanks again for joining us uh, for an episode of the Smart City Chronicles. Uh, my name is Adam Beck, your host, and we look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Many thanks for listening.